guilt demands a payment, and that's what Jesus did on the cross for you. He paid your debts, past, present, future debts, the penalty of your sins. He took them on himself. Jesus was punished in my place and in your place. Guilt demands punishment. You know, Reuben's saying in verse 22, he's saying, I told you so. Why did you send it? You know, why did you sell him to Egypt? Joseph overhears this, and because he recognizes their speech, and they didn't know he did, he runs out of the room and weeps. He senses, I'm sure, a subtle change in their hearts after 22 years. But Joseph keeps Simeon, and I has explained, he's the second oldest. He was the one that, that said, don't do it, but they did it anyhow. Reuben wanted to get, or Simeon wanted to get Joseph out of the pit. Verses 25 through 28. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to the stack to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So he loaded their donkeys with the grain and and departed from there. But as one of them opened the sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Here's Joseph's second test. He's testing their integrity. And he's testing, see if they're greedy after these 22 years. You remember, they sold Joseph into Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. You realize that's Two pieces of silver per, per brother. That's all they did. You know, for lousy two pieces of silver. In verse 27 and 28, the brothers find um, that um, they are frightened and they must return for Simeon. So he did, they didn't know what this was all about because the money was back in their sack. They personally didn't put it there. But they noticed that they're guilty of something. What is it that God has done to us, is what they said. It's called the law of retribution, and I quoted it a couple times to you, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So if you're a liar, guess what you're going to reap? Lies. You're a deceiver, guess what you're going to reap? Deception. That's just a plant. You plant a kernel of corn, you're not going to get an apple tree. You're going to get corn. They did not what should have, they didn't do what should have been done. There's two more ways Joseph typifies Christ and just what we both, both just read. Both were recognized, were not recognized by the brethren. The brothers of Joseph did not recognize Joseph. And likewise, Jesus, the Messiah, when he came to earth, the Jews didn't recognize him. 
Very few of them did. Some turned, but some most didn't. So they both were recognized by the were not recognized by the brethren. Number twenty-seven of the well, how Joseph typifies Christ is they both tested the hearts of their brethren. That's what Joseph is doing here. He's testing the hearts of his brethren. And Jesus did the same thing in Matthew 22, 41 through 46. While the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And then he said to them, How then does David in the spirit, he's talking about these, this is a spiritual verse, okay, that he's talking about, and it's Psalm 110, verse 1. He's saying, how does David in the Spirit, very important, call him Lord, L-O-R-D, upper and lower case, saying the Lord, all capital letters, which stands for Elohim, okay, or Yahweh, said to my Lord, a capital L, small O-R-D, Adonai, okay, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how then is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word from that day on. Did anyone dare to ask him another question? He was saying to him, listen, the, the word of God is spiritual. The passage in Psalm 110 verse 1 is a spiritual passage. Jesus calls his, uh, his, he calls Adonai his, you know, um, he's the son of Adonai. How does he say it? He said to him, how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying the Lord Elohim or Yahweh said to my Lord Adonai? He's admitting that David, you know, that Adonai is prior to David. So they couldn't answer him because they didn't want to enter into the spirit. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, uh, I know that you, you, you wouldn't be able to do these miracles you're doing if, you, if God was not with you. And Jesus told him. You know, he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You're the teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? See, a lot of people look at the scriptures literally. And yes, there's a literal part to it, but there's also a spiritual part. And you've got to be able to discern through the Holy Spirit, what passages are more are spiritual. When Jesus said in John chapter 2, you destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. He wasn't talking about a physical temple. He now was talking about the temple of the Spirit. It, he flipped it. He flipped it from literal to spiritual. He did that with Nicodemus. He did that with the woman at the well. He did that with, with uh, blind Bartimaeus. He did that with, uh, did I say Nicodemus? He's changing things around, letting them know you've got to look at the Scriptures spiritually. So when you look at the Old Testament, you look at it spiritually, and you see the, the types of Christ that are in there. You see the sacrifices and how they picture the Messiah who is to come. You know, they all point to Jesus. Jesus is woven through the Old and the New Testament from Genesis 1, 1 on to 
You know, Revelation chapter 21, the ending verse. Verses 29 through 34. Then they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who was lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men, and we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father to this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine in your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. The issue here is being made a little little bit worse. Verses 35. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in the sack. Can you tell Joseph's not money hungry here? He made his uh, Egypt rich, but he wasn't money hungry. That means he wasn't in love with money. And you know that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. And Joseph is displaying that he don't love money. He put the money back in their sack. He loved his brothers. He wanted to take care of his family back home because the famine was severe. Verse 36, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Hey, Jacob's really distraught now. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you and put in my put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you but he said my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone if any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go then you will bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave everybody has their money Jacob refuses to send Benjamin to Egypt. He already lost Joseph. He assumed Simeon was going to be lost or killed down in Egypt. And he said, you, ain't, you aren't getting Benjamin. Sorry. He's willing, to, <laughs> he's willing to lose Simeon. You realize that? He's willing to lose Simeon. You could tell Joseph's playing favorites. That's how Joseph ended up in Egypt. He's probably upset at his brother, him and Levi, who slaughtered the men of Shechem you know, by making them get uh, circumcised in their old age to, to actually intermarry with the girls, the ladies in Egypt and, and in Canaan. And he's not willing to lose Benjamin. All these things are against me. He says, you know that song, it goes like, God doesn't love me, this I know. 
my misfortunes tell me so? Well, that's not how it goes, is it? God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the way it is. Here's Jacob's, Jacob's gone to the other extreme. He's going to have to think about it and pray about it and end this masquerade. And quit thinking, you out there, quit thinking God doesn't love you because of your misfortunes. Do you know your misfortunes are scars that actually make you the person you are today? Hopefully you're a better person now that you met Jesus than you were before you met Jesus. Your scars dictate where you've been, but they don't have to dictate your future. That's all there is to it. Right now, Jacob is being dictated by the past, and he's got to deal with it. When life seems hopeless, God is at work in your behalf. He promises never to leave you or forsake you. You know that. When even things look hopeless, God is with you. I look back at the trying times of my life, and I sure couldn't tell God was there, but now I can. Because I'm seeing clearly now. I look back at what God did. And just like Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God turned to good. I can see that in my own life. And I'm sure you can see that in your life. What the devil meant for evil, God even turns that to good. It's, it's amazing how much the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. Great is his faithfulness. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is trying to teach Jacob once again to trust him. He's going backwards. Remember I told you about those red-tailed suckers in the current waiting for the food to come down in the stream? And they sit there in the current, and before you know it, they're sliding backwards because the current's pushing them downstream. And every once in a while, they've got to scoot back up to where they were, and that's what a backslidden Christian needs to do. If you slid backwards, you think you're serving the Lord, but you're doing nothing. You're just attending church on Sunday, and maybe now you're not even doing it at all because of the indignation that's in the world. Maybe you've, you've slipped back. You don't even go to church anymore. I like what Keith Green said. Jesus died for you. You can't get out of bed. Come on, Christian, wake up. I know that's a little strong, but you know it's true. You abide in Christ. You can hide in the shelter the shadow of the Almighty. We've got to believe this. God is stronger. God is more powerful. Quit thinking the devil is. Quit thinking, you know, uh, disease is. It's time to have faith. Remember Hebrews 4.2. The writer of Hebrews says, the same gospel that was pre preached to us was preached to them, yet it did not prosper them because it was not mixed with faith. Faith moves mountains. Jesus said so. Check it out, Mark 11, chapter 23 through 20, 25. <coughs> Remember, Jacob is still wrestling with God. Remember, he wrestled with God and and all night long, and he prevailed. And the, the, the angel of the Lord touched him on his hip, and now he's limping all the days of his life so that he could remember that he wrestled with, with the Lord. 
and a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And he's, look at, he's still wrestling with God. You can see it here. He's not willing to give up his sons. Remember Abraham? What was his great-grandfather? Abraham was willing to submit his will to God's will by sacrificing Isaac. But Jacob slipped back. You can see the generations. You know, if, if my father's generation was fired up for Jesus, the next generation seems to slip back. No, the next generation should get stronger in the Lord, not weaker in the Lord. I look at my own family. You know, when they were little, they were strong. Now that they're older, the world has deceived them, and they're slipping backwards like this. And they need to start flapping that tail and get back up where they were and start swimming up further and get the food that's coming down the ripples quicker than the other ones that are other fish that are there. we got to remember this. Jacob needs to remember that he gave up his will, he gave up his rights, and he gave up his control. And that's what Christians need to realize too today. You must give up your will, your rights, and your control to Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to be a carpenter, but God wants you to be a preacher. Maybe you want to be a preacher, but God wants you to be a carpenter. You just got to submit to him. Quit wrestling with God and just do what he says. I tell you, I, I was talking to somebody not recently, I can't remember who it was, and I said to them, you know what? Most pastors started out cleaning toilets, mopping floors. They're servants, just like Jesus. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jacob lost that conquering faith that, that he once had. He's probably pondering the dream that Joseph had about the sun, the moon, the stars are going to bow down, the 11 stars are going to bow down and worship him. Conquering faith, remember, remembers your prior victories. So what if you're struggling right now? You've got to remember the prior victories, the, the tight spots that God got you out of. I can think back many in my life. I remember before I was a Christian going down to the church steps in my hometown and my home church and praying. I wasn't anywhere near a Christian, but I was remembering that God could get me out of this problem or, or put peace in my heart once again. You've got to remember those prior victories. You've got to remember conquering faith, faith always rejects discouraging situations or discouraging words. Somebody says, you know, to you, oh, you can never do that. You can say, I can do all things through Christ. That was a discouraging word, but the Bible says you can do all things through Christ. So you can, you can remember, get rid of those discouraging words. Somebody says you can't do it. You say, yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ. Faith, conquering faith, contemplates the victory before it ever happens. You know, Joshua, when, he, when God told him to, to just, you, you won't have to fight this battle, he says, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight the battle. So he puts the praise team in front of the warriors. They probably thought he was nuts. But you know what? He knew what God said. He was contemplating the victory. He said, if God said it, it's going to happen. And, he, and it happened just that way. The, the armies that came against Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat 
conquered themselves. They began fighting with one another till everyone was dead. And, he, and Israel didn't have to raise a sword. All they did was sing praises to God. Conquering faith always keeps a positive confession. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. Death, you're going to eat the fruit of death if you speak for death. If you, you speak life, you're going to eat the fruit of life. Think about this. James says it uh, this way. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to turn to James um, 3.6. James 3.6. This is important. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life and is set on by the fire of hell. Your words are very important. If you speak life, you'll get life. You speak death, you'll get death. It's important. It, it, look at what it says here. It defiles their whole body and sets on fire the course of your life. That's, those are some powerful, strong words. Quit speaking negative. Speak positive, no matter what the situation is. Jacob remembered the dream. He, hopefully he remembered the wrestling. Hope he remembers Jacob or Esau's forgiveness. He thought Esau was going to kill him when he returned to the promised land. He should remember that God did give him land and people and blessings. He should have a positive confession, but he's failing on this one. Because he did not give up his will, his rights, and his control to, to the Lord. But he's going to deal with it. He's going to take some time. By the time we get to the next chapter, 43, we're going to see that he sends his sons back down to Egypt, and they're going to appear before, you know, his brethren for the second time. And we'll see that next week. So if any of you out there are contemplating um, whether you want to believe in Jesus or not, as I mentioned, Jesus is woven through the entire uh, scriptures. Next week, I'm going to be doing a memorial for a man that I loved. Who used to, he didn't live here. He lived in another um, part of Florida up north. And he passed away, and he was a converted Jew. And I'm going to be speaking at his memorial next Friday up in northern Florida. And uh, my point is, is I'm going to present the gospel to a whole church full of mostly Jewish people. And the Jewish people need to know that their Messiah has already come. And he has already redeemed mankind. And thankfully, you know, my brother that's, that's gone to the Lord, he found Jesus. And I'm hoping, and I know if he were here, he'd be hoping his family would turn to Christ too. 
But Jesus is woven, as I said, all through Genesis, all the way to Revelation. Without Jesus, this book, I said it before, will fall apart. There's nothing to it without Jesus. So let's close in prayer. And if none of you over the air, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to know that he paid for your sins. First of all, you need to know you're a sinner. Be convicted by your sins and want to be repentant and turn from your sins and believe that Jesus is the Messiah that came and paid your debt, a debt that no man could pay because we're all sinners. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you want to find peace in heaven, you must come to Jesus. So you can do it tonight just by praying. Say, Lord, I love you. I found out that Jesus Christ was your son. I believe it. I turn from my sins. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit into my heart and pray with all of your heart. And God will forgive you. He will hear your prayer. And if you did it with all your heart, you would be born again. Your values are going to change. Your mouth is going to change. Your heart is going to change. Your desires are going to change. And, and a whole bunch of other things will happen. It may not happen all right away, but it will happen because the Holy Spirit will enter into your life. So let's pray and... Um, and we'll go home. Father, tonight we thank you, Father, for your word in Genesis chapter 42. Thank you, Father. I'm sure there's so much more there that, that um, I didn't tackle tonight, Lord. But, Father, your Holy Spirit can speak to each of us as we go our way. Thank you, Father God, for the, the picture you're painting in uh, Joseph's life so that we might become men and women of God that typify Christ just like he did by loving you, serving you, obeying you, and worshiping you, the King of Kings. And to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you all. God bless you. Tune in on Sunday, 10 a.m.